Imagine if on a particular regular day of your daily life, let's say next Thursday, you suddenly received an audible, vocal word from God. You were doing some filing or folding your laundry, going about your business when suddenly a voice was speaking. You heard your name and then this. You must sell everything you own and move to a foreign land, somewhere you've never even heard of. I have enormous plans for you. I want to make you into something you've never dreamed of. I will take care of all the details. Your life is meant to impact everyone, everywhere. First off, would you believe this voice to be real? Would you trust the leading of a voice seemingly out of nowhere? And secondly, would you sell everything and go? Would you obey these commands that were spoken only to you? Well, let's imagine that you go after selling everything untransportable and you take with you your spouse and all your extended family. You travel to a place you've never been before, and during your travels, you are going entirely on what you heard on that Thursday. As the doubts creep in, and as your family begins to ask additional questions about your word, you can only reply, well, that's what he said. Almost immediately, troubles begin. First, you run out of money, then food, then any means to provide for your family, And so you have to move to an adjoining country. You're a refugee. And in that country, all sorts of family drama ensues between you, your wife, and another man. It's deeply embarrassing and reduces you really to a shadow of yourself. Finally, when you're able to leave and return to the original land you'd been sent to, new family drama ensues with your extended family. After which... Your group divides, that extended family leaves, then, by the way, are attacked, and you have to go and rescue them. After which a mystical figure, seemingly out of nowhere, comes to meet you, and you sense the presence of God again with him. After which, after all this movement, hardship, struggle, strife, strain, suddenly God is speaking to you again. Do not be afraid, he says. For I am your shield, your very great reward. After which, and certainly with the most profound respect for speaking firsthand with God, you raise a particular logistical point that's been concerning you. For all God's talk of lands, nations, generations, children, and blessing, you are currently without a single child of your own. God asks you to take a walk beneath the night sky. See these? He draws your attention upward to the limitless stars in the sky. Your children shall be greater than these. First off, do you believe the words of such extravagant promise? And secondly, will you continue to believe tomorrow? Genesis 15:6 Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And with that we begin Romans 4. 
Now, how does all this affect the position of our ancestor Abraham? And what does Paul mean by all this? Well, chapter 3, Romans 3 statements like, no man can justify himself before God by a perfect performance of the law. And now we are seeing the righteousness of God declared quite apart from the law. And others like, there is no more room for human pride of achievement. The whole matter now is on a different plane, believing instead of achieving. So yes, for the Jewish Christian readers of this letter to the Roman fellowship, what becomes of the position of the greatest patriarch? Like, where does Father Abraham stand? Paul goes on. Well, if justification were by achievement, he could quite fairly be proud of what he achieved, but not, I am sure, proud before God. For what does the scripture say about him? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. So friends, the reason I took you on that narrative journey through Abraham's life and Paul's purpose, by the way, in these first three verses, they really are one and the same to land our ponderings upon Genesis 15, 6, to have us meditating on belief, righteousness, and the economy of God's grace. Here are those words amplified from the Greek. Listen. And Abraham believed, trusted, put his faith in, relied on, felt confident in, entrusted himself to God. And it was reckoned unto him counted toward, calculated to be, taken into account as, set down to his account for righteousness. Friends, God is. He is the I am. His very living essence is goodness, love, righteousness. All humanity may choose to believe or disbelieve. But, from the very beginning, the only path for fallen mankind to interact with the righteousness of God has been along this channel of mind-body-spirit belief. That is the way Abraham pioneered, whether he knew what he was really doing or not. Now, if a man works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as a fair reward a statement we can readily understand and agree with. We can picture ourselves looking at our most recent paycheck, I would say unsurprised when we see our hours, pay, and total take-home. This is a wage-for-work economy. You have sold your time and effort for a predetermined result. Under the former system, the old covenant, the Israelites did the work of showing up putting in the time and all the sacrifices, and their expectation was the continuation of their chosen status. They had done the work, and of course, some more meticulously than others, and yet they all expected what I would call their spiritual salary. External work understood wage. Let's keep going. But if a man, irrespective of his work, has faith in him who justifies the sinful, then that man's faith is counted as righteousness. And that is the gift of God. This is so important. 
So let's extrapolate it a bit. Again, there is a God, the I am. His very living essence, I'll say it again, is goodness, love, righteousness. When a man or woman, like you or me, were fallen, fleshly, were broken and sinful by our very definition, when we begin to believe in God, we're doing something. We're aligning our lives with the goodness, love, the righteousness of God, and we're beginning a different journey through the human existence. When we believe in God, when we trust in God's ways and means, we are beginning to choose against all forms of self-righteousness. It's not our works, the sweat of our spiritual brow, that's going to justify us. It is the gift of God who, by belief, lines up His way, His goodness, love, His righteousness, with our redeemed human beings. The whole thing is perfectly natural and perfectly supernatural. It is the gift of God to the individual who simply believes. And what is that life like? Let me continue to read. This is the happy state of the man whom God accounts righteous apart from his achievements, as David expresses it, and this is from the opening of Psalm 32. Listen, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not reckon sin. Friends, if you want to understand what your own personal interior life should feel like, as these ones who are accounted righteous, uh, uh, apart from our achievement, whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered, to whom the Lord will not reckon sin, then I would say, look no further than both Paul and David's matching descriptions. Makarisman, makarioi, makarias. Blessedness, blessed, blessed. The very same word that Matthew has Jesus using at the head of each of those beatitudes. Blessed are you. When you pull in even more of the ancient Greek, I mean, you are getting meanings and usages that sound like this. Oh, so good. Listen. Happy, blessed, prosperous. Oh, happy you that you are, this is so good, rich and better educated and pertaining to a whole state of bliss. If that doesn't sound like your own personal Christianity or your sense of historical Christianity, then I would say that you and history have been doing this wrong. Inward bliss is the natural state of men and women set free by Jesus who actually have received and believed in that actual freedom. It is for you to receive your freedom. No one else can do that for you. I'm enjoying mine. You should enjoy yours. That is the makarisman. Makariai, makarios. It's all so blessed. I'll continue again. Now the question, an important one, arises. Is this happiness for the circumcised only? 
or for the uncircumcised as well? Which, and you'll see from what he's about to say, is meaning both the literal act of circumcision and the figurative spiritual meaning attached to the act as a marker of what I would call Old Covenant Judaism. So keep listening. Note this carefully. We began by saying that Abraham's faith was counted unto him for righteousness. When this happened, was he a circumcised man? He was not. He was still uncircumcised. It was afterwards that the sign of circumcision was given to him as a seal upon that righteousness which God was accounting to him as yet an uncircumcised man. God's purpose here is twofold. First, that Abraham might be the spiritual father of all who since that time, despite their uncircumcision, show the faith that is counted as righteousness. Then, secondly, that he might be the circumcised father of all those who are not only circumcised, but are living by the same sort of faith which he himself had before he was circumcised. Now, at the beginning today, I did. I took you on an imaginative experience through all the ins and outs of Abram, later Abraham's, journey of belief. The voice of God, the command of God, the vision that God laid out, the journey toward God's promise, and the day-to-day returning, really like recoursing right and only back to God that were the story of Abraham prior again to Genesis 15, 6. I'll say it again. All of that daily trust and belief came prior to God because of belief, reckoning righteousness unto Father Abraham. And by the way, he wasn't yet a father, don't forget. And he hadn't, and Paul wants to remind us of this, been marked by physical, spiritual circumcision yet. The reason Abraham and his belief and his eventual circumcision and his being blessed with a son are so important for us is because whether Jew or Gentile, Christian or just starting to seek after God, we are all of us called all the time to wholeheartedly believe in all we know of God. To trust that, again, he is and that his living essence is goodness, love, righteousness. And that to give ourselves to knowing him, trusting in him, believing in what he's offering is the very definition of actually living life. The life that he intended for Abraham to hear, to trust, to obey, to believe past the point of what I would call natural human hope is really the truly glorious life he wants for each of us. The only difference today? Jesus. The fact that Abram heard a voice in the sky and we have words in our heart. The reality that Abram was uh, stuck in the flesh. We've been invited into the spirit. The truth that Abram was hoping for land. Ours is a kingdom. The wonderful remembrance that for you and for I, it is finished. My friends, knowing what we know of God, will we believe? Will we return to him at our very first moment of doubt? 
Will we seek to see his way upon this earth? Will we settle for nothing less than everything he's already offered? Thank you for listening.